Welcome to the Smarter Trading Podcast. If you want to sharpen your trading skills or become a more savvy investor, then you're in the right place. Every week, we sit down with professional traders who are ready to share practical insights on what it takes to succeed in modern day markets. Smarter Trading, the show to watch to trade smarter. Medeiros is the founder and CEO of The Trade Risk. All opinions expressed by guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Evan or The Trade Risk. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as the basis for investment decisions. Evan and guests may maintain positions in securities discussed in this podcast. This episode of Smarter Trading is sponsored by Investors Business Daily. Some people say it's not possible to time the market, but William O'Neill and the experts at IBD created a system that helps you stay on the right side of the action, aggressive in uptrends and protected in downtrends. IBD digital members get daily updates on the current market conditions so they always know when to take action. Join IBD Digital today and be in the know. Podcast listeners can get their first two months for only $20 by going to investors.com slash Evan. That's investors.com slash E-V-A-N. Now, let's hear about today's guest. Our guest today is Dr. Barry Burns. Barry has been trading markets for over 50 years and is the founder of Top Dog Trading and author of the popular book, Trend Trading for Dummies. In this episode, Barry breaks down the many different trading strategies that he uses to invest his money and his family's pension plan. He talks about swing trading markets using options, selling credit spreads, day trading futures, and investing over the long term based on major growth trends and fundamental analysis. Barry then walks us through the five energies of the market that he uses to track money flow. He outlines each energy and describes how he uses them to place high probability trend trades. This episode has a little bit of something for everyone, so please enjoy this episode with Dr. Barry Burns. What does a trading day in the life of Mr. Barry Burns look like? What time do you wake up? You know, what, what time are you firing up the machines? What's the go-to charts or news outlets you're, you know, catching up to speed with when you wake up in the morning? <laughs> okay. Well, I chuckle a little bit because it's, it's going to be a bit heterodox from what um, most people are either thinking or used to or have heard from others. So uh, I, I'm a night person. So I do not get up early. Now, back in the olden days, back when I was first learning to trade, uh, then, yeah, I got up Well, I'm in Los Angeles. So let's get time zones established here. So I would get up at about 1030 at night. That's when I get up and I would start trading around midnight and I would start trading the uh, the European market. So mostly the DAX and I would trade that until I traded the euro around 5 a.m. And then I would trade the E-minis until 1300 military hours. And then I'd close out my trading and go to bed. So that's one o'clock in the afternoon. So 13 hours a day was my trading day. And that was, like I say, kind of unusual lifestyle, but uh, I was just trying to get a lot of hours in, a lot of repetition, and it worked. So I was completely out of sync with the rest of the world. Um, but I'm glad I did that for years and years and years, and it worked out uh, very well to get that those reps under my belt, my 10,000 hours, if you will. 
So don't do that anymore. Uh, now I actually have a life and I don't really need to trade for money anymore. So uh, now I, gosh, my wife and I, um, we just have such an amazing relationship. So, you know, I go in, I spend the evening with her and we'll just talk and talk and talk. We'll be up. We'll spend like four, five, six hours together every night. Uh, we have such a beautiful, beautiful relationship. And even after we just celebrated our nine year anniversary, by the way. And so, yeah, after all this time, we can still just sit there in bed. We don't even turn on the television. We'll just talk and laugh and entertain each other. And um, so I don't get to bed uh, until maybe two or three in the morning. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and so when I get up, I just get up um, when I'm tired of sleeping yep. and I uh, will my, my pre um, market analysis and work and resource and all of that sort of stuff is that um, I get up, um, I have a, a very light breakfast, usually just um, a protein shake and uh, some uh, to be real specific, English muffins with some natural peanut butter on it. Uh, <laughs> probably getting too specific here, but then, you know, that's it. Uh, uh, something to drink, a little water to wash all that down with. And then I go outside and I get my body moving first. So I'm a big believer in that if you want to change your mental state, change your physical state. And so I get up, I walk around outside. I have a beautiful estate here, a lot of nature around me. Um, and uh, we've got a, our, our, we have a long driveway and it goes up. So I'm going up, 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 up. So it's kind of like doing a Stairmaster except out in nature. And uh, get to my heart rate going, do some exercises, some stretching, some Tai Chi. And then I come back in to my weight room and I lift some weights. And then I take a cold shower. Uh, nothing sexual about that. That's just to wake me up and, you know, get the blood circulating and get oxygenated and so forth. And uh, never look forward to that part of the day, but um, I just, I do it. And uh, again, it's just to wake me up and get me going because one of my rules is to never trade when I'm tired. So the very first thing on my, my list of trading rules is to always be alert and aware and awake, wide awake. And if I'm not, I just don't trade that day. So that's, let's say, filter to keep me out of my trades as my mental state. So I might do a little bit of meditation, and then um, I don't look at news. So I, I don't have Bloomberg on. I don't have CNBC on, Market Watch, nothing. Um, I will look at whatever, the first thing that I will do is look at whatever news, um, economic news is scheduled for that day. So known economic um News releases, yes, I do look at that. So I'm aware of those times during the day. But um, other than that, I don't really care, you know, what the news is because I'm just going to trade the money flow. Mm. So uh, to me, news is is words and actions speak louder than words. And actions are where people are really placing their bets. You know, they, they're serious about letting their money go into the wild, wild marketplace. So I'm just going to follow the money. And um, that's how people place their trades is going to be based on how they interpret whatever news happened. So I'm not going to try to interpret that or second guess, oh, what is this going to mean? How's the market going to react to this? I'm just going to look at it and say, oh, this is what the market's doing for whatever reason. Hmm. It could be news, could be no news, could be gossip, could be rumors. But for whatever reason, 
the money flow is never wrong. Hmm. So the, the markets are an auction place and there's supply and demand, there's bids, there's asks. And, you know, people really want something, people will bid it up and up and up in price. If they don't, then they won't. And that's as simple as the markets are to me. Very, very simple. There's nothing complicated about them. And so I just wait for those times, the rest of the time, when there's kind of an even supply and demand. I just uh, do nothing. I keep my, my powder dry. And I wait for there to be a, a severe imbalance of supply demand. Mm-hmm. And then I, I jump on that. So at that point during the day, I'm just uh, day trading futures. I like to day trade futures more than stocks or Forex or anything else. I mean, I'll trade Forex, but uh, futures, not spot Forex. And uh, there can be some tax benefits for those of us in the United States to that, as well as as a centralized exchange, as opposed to spot Forex, where it's not centralized. So I can use volume and it's, um, you know, just trades very nicely. It's got um, you know, a lot of liquidity. Mm-hmm. And um, so anyway, then just to finish up, about an hour before the markets close here in the U.S., then I switch over to trading options. And with options, I'm swing trading. So I'm looking at that last hour of the day to take positions uh, that I will take that day that I plan on holding for maybe one, two, three, five, seven days. So that's about my time horizon, roughly for options most of the time. And those options are usually on stocks or ETFs. And um, yeah, so I'd look at those. And then if I take any trades that day, I, I put my order in, see if I get a good fill. If I do, I'm in. If I don't get a good fill, cool. I just let it go. I'm going to make sure the market gives me a good price. And um, then I'll finish up with all my logs and my uh, record keeping. And um, that's my average trading day. I'm so glad I asked that question because that is awesome to hear. Uh, so first thing that I take away is, you know, you're not, you know, you're not in bed. The alarm clock's going off for the fifth time. You're running downstairs trying to get to the screen, you know, Keurig and sipping coffee and, you know, putting on the, you know, the, the, the machines. You have a very awake the body, awake the mind you know, naturally sort of get yourself ready for battle, let's call it, right? Make sure you're in a good state of mind and very leisurely. And so I appreciate that. And I have, so I have a handful of questions that obviously stem off that, but I'm curious, you know, you in your background, you grew up in a, in a household. I think it was your father who had a pretty big influence on you early on getting you in, interested in markets at, I think age, was it eight? That's incredible. If it's age eight. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, Wow. So, so talk to me a little bit about that background. I mean, is that, does that influence kind of how you're doing things now? I know before you were a night owl trading the, the night session, but, but talk to me a little bit about growing up um, as a, as a, as an early child sort of getting involved uh, in the markets. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm 62 years old, so that was a long time ago when I was eight. And uh, you're right, it was eight. So, yeah, things were totally different back then. I mean, we didn't even have computers. Heck, we had black and white TV. So we had rotary telephones. So, yeah, the news, the, the you know, the, the charts were charts from yesterday's news that came, you know, in the morning delivered on your your doorstep and uh basically that's what we we traded and we'd listen to it a little bit on tv maybe but just told there was no day trading 
for example. Um, and it was just stocks. There's no futures or forex or options that we traded at that time. Um, so at least, you know, for us, my dad was just a stock trader. So yeah, it was, it was very slow and leisurely and it was, I guess I would call it kind of swing trading, but still different than what I do now because we'd hold something for months or even more than a year. And uh, there was a little bit of fundamental analysis. So we would do, but we still looked at charts, but the only, we didn't have any indicators or anything. All we did was look at a, a chart on a piece of paper that had like the 50 period moving average, the 200 moving average and volume. And then it wasn't even candlesticks, just, you know, price bars. So we did use that. My dad taught me how to read charts like that. And um, then analysis, my dad, well, the way my dad actually taught me originally was he would just have me sit down at our dining room table in Detroit, Michigan. Mm-hmm. And he would bring the portfolios that he had gathered of five different stocks. So mm-hmm. we'd always do it the same way, five stocks at a time. And then he'd just lay them down and he'd say, Barry, which stock should we buy? And I'm eight. And I said, uh, well, I got one question. And he says, what's that? Said, what's a stock? <laughs> so, you know, again, he didn't really teach me. It wasn't like mm-hmm. there were classes or lessons it was more just threw me into the pool and said swim Mm. and then i could ask questions uh dad how do i swim while i'm drowning here obviously not quite that dramatic but that's how he taught me was just showing me a bunch of stuff and then letting me ask questions and i learned um well again at first i knew didn't know what i was doing so i'd ask him probably pretty inane and ridiculous questions. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he would, uh, he'd make me choose one and I would choose one and then he would actually buy it with real money, his money. And so that put, you know, this extra emotional energy behind it in that, oh, this isn't just theory. This is with, with real money and it's with my dad's money, which put even more pressure on me because didn't want my dad to lose money. That was my, you know, maybe my college money or something. I don't know. Or probably thinking more like my bike. I need a bike for Christmas. <laughs> the stock better make some money so my dad can buy me a bike. And, um, you know, my dad never told me this, but this is, I guess, my dad is has gone on to the, uh, the the ticker in the sky, so to say. But he, uh, I'm, I'm guessing that he chose five stocks that he felt pretty comfortable with. And because I'm sure he wouldn't have put his money at risk, you know, on and uh unwillingly or not knowing that okay so he thinks at least that each one of these are going to do okay so anyway have me choose one and then put money into one of them and then we'd watch all five of them over time and we'd see how the one that i chose did compare to the other four Hmm. and we did that every week then the next week again same thing and we'd still be on the first one, but then we'd have five more and I'd choose another one. We'd be watching all these stocks, you know, pretty soon we had like 10 or 20 going all at the same time. And um, then I continued to ask questions and then reading the Wall Street Journal and, you know, just kind of learned by doing like that. So um, that's how I learned. But I mean, it doesn't have a lot to do with how I trade today, quite sure. frankly. Uh, although I would just say that and then my first teacher after my dad, he had us drawing, hand drawing charts on graph paper with pencil. Wow. And so he wouldn't give us, well, he would show us charts. We had this big class and it was like this auditorium and we had overhead projectors with transparencies. I told you I'm old. And <laughs> uh, so he'd have a chart up there and then we'd have to like look up there and copy it with a pencil mm. on graph paper. 
and even the the volume bars and all this stuff and even draw moving averages in and try to connect you know each bar where it did with your open high low close at the next bar where it's at 200 moving average come in all that stuff and you know i think all of that did help me in a way that i'm probably not even aware of anymore of just giving me this kind of feel for the market being almost tactily involved in a chart mm-hmm. as opposed to today where it's all done for you and it's just thrown on the monitor and you're just, you know, looking at it. Sure. So I, I can't quantify that really or prove it, but I, I think in some way that did help me get a feel for, for charts. Yeah, that is, that is an incredibly early start. And like you say, even if it wasn't direct mentoring in, in a in a true sense, it still was getting you interested, it was getting your head thinking about, you know, this whole stock market, you know, phenomenon and how you can, you know, obviously as you did, pr- progress down that route route and uh pursue a career in it. So I think that is uh definitely a um yeah, a pretty pivotal sort of start foundation that you had there. So, you know, you've seen a lot. You've been trading for a long time. We went from fractions to decimals and we went to full digital live streaming quotes and and mm-hmm. and just very sophisticated markets that has, you know, transformed over the years. Your approach today, though, is technical, right? Is that a fair mm-hmm. assumption? You said news doesn't matter to you. So you're a technical trader. Is that right? Yeah, mostly. I do manage. A, I am the trustee of our own family pension plan. And so when I do investing in the pension plan, then I do take into account some fundamentals. I'm not huge on it, um, but I do look at some resources for fundamentals because those are positions I'm looking to hold for years and years and years. And uh, but then I and that will often get me interested in a stock or a sector, an industry uh, or a commodity. For example, lithium is something I've been interested in lately. Uranium, all these are on my my watch list. So these will get put under my watch list. You know, metaverse, got a whole, you know, a basket of metaverse things that I'm looking at right now just to be, you know, very current. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Facebook's dramatically down right now and it popped up after the, the news. And um, I like doing that. That's one thing my dad did teach me too was I watched my dad buying things when everybody else was selling them, when, you know, the blood was running in the streets, as they say, you know. Mm-hmm look for those opportunities. Now, that doesn't just mean you buy because mm-hmm. there may be a reason there's blood running in the streets. It could be because a company is about to go out of business. Sure. So, you know, you got to, it's a little more sophisticated than that. And that's where you have to be a little more discerning and understand the industry and the future and, and analyze the people behind the company, you know, and the, the financials and so forth. So, gotcha. but, um, so there's certain situations like this, like after 9-11, unfortunately, um, you know, that, that was, I hate to say it, but, you know, that was a, a, an amazing buying opportunity, um, but of the whole market. And um, another one with with COVID, you know, Mm -hmm. we had that big nosedive. And then again, just incredible buying opportunity for the whole market. Mm -hmm. Um, When uh, future oils went to negative, where, you know, (laughs) essentially it was priced where you'd have to pay someone to take oil from them. Right. Okay. Never could have thought that would happen. Right. Uh, right. Exactly. So yeah. again, I just, you know, bought up oil like crazy. Right. So 
I've always let those opportunities don't come across too often, but when they do, um, you know, one of the things my dad taught me was look for those anomalies and yeah. um, those are going to be some of the best trades that you'll have. You might only have one a year like that or one every two years. Sometimes we have two in a year, but that's just amazing. But again, I wouldn't do that on a, on a, a single company that wasn't well-established, well-financed and yep. things like that. I'm talking more broader markets, like again, commodities or the whole S and P um, yeah, big, big picture, things like that. Gotcha. So, so yeah, you really are then you are, you are diversifying with throughout different strategies. So if I understand it, then you have your trust, you are looking maybe more at um, these opportunities where you can hold something for three, four, five years and the futures that you are day trading, maybe we'll take it one kind of asset class at a time. I know you've authored, and maybe this fits more on the option side, but I know you, you're the author of uh, Trend Trading for Dummies, right? Popular book there. And so I'm assuming you have some affinity to trend following in some form. Um, futures, is that trend trading at all? Are you scalping? Are you doing you know little uh, uh, short trades? What, what's going on with the intraday futures trading? Well, my intraday uh, futures, I have two styles of trades. One is trend trading and the other is reversion to the mean trading. So both mathematical models, those are kind of, you know, two opposite mathematical models. Um, and I'll, I'll use them both because the markets do different things. The only time I don't really trade, which is, well, I guess most of the time is when the market's just chopping and doing nothing. It's a random walk, as they would say, which I think that's really what the markets are most of the time. I think I really think everyone should read that book, Random Walk Down Wall Street, because mm -hmm. there's so much truth to it. And people tend to think the opposite. They tend to think that most of the time there's a high probability trade to be had somewhere anytime you look at a chart. And in my opinion, that is totally not true. Yeah. Most of the time you're looking at a chart or any stock or any commodity or crypto or whatever, there's no probability scenario there. Everything that can be known about it has already been priced into the market, so there's no edge to be had. But every once in a while, a small percentage of the time, things align and where, oh, okay, now we have an orderly market. It's not random anymore. It's not chaotic. And ooh, there is an edge here. So, you know, one of those examples would be the reversion to the mean mathematical model. So easiest way for people, I think, to grasp that is just to think about the probability bell curve that we're all familiar with. Mm -hmm. So once we get two, three sigmas out from the mean, you know, then the odds or the probability of it continuing in that direction are very, very, very small. Mm -hmm. And now you have a statistical edge. The edge is, well, statistically, it's going to revert back to the mean. Mm -hmm. So the tricky thing that a lot of people don't get, and that, that probability truly does exist statistically. So the tricky thing is, just like moving averages, mm -hmm. The probability curve, if you were to like overlay it on a chart, that probability curve isn't static. It's always moving too. And so the mean changes yes. over time. So just because maybe you take a short position when it's two sigmas away from the mean, well, that doesn't mean that the stock's going to go down back to the mean. The mean could come to the price of the stock. Okay. And so the reversion of the mean still happens, but price maybe doesn't go anywhere on right. the Let's just use a stock. Could be a commodity. Could be whatever a futures model, and that's where options come in. So this, these are the kind of plays that I like to uh, sell uh, vertical credit spreads. 
Okay. Because then I'm out there and I don't need price to move. If it just stays generally in the same area, then I'm cool. That can go down. It can go nowhere. It can even go up a little bit and I still make money because now, well, options, of course, are multi-dimensional in the pricing. So you've got uh, volatility is priced into the price of the option. Uh, theta, of course, or theta decays. So we're selling short-term options closer against the expiration date, exponential curve of theta decay. So you got all those things working in your favor. And, you know, I love to do that with options. So that's how I do my swing trading. Now, sometimes I'll just... You know, if I do want to take a directional trade with options, I'll just buy a call or buy a put. Um, mm-hmm. And with all of those, it has to be very well priced, even with my credit spreads. Yeah. So even if the stock's set up and all that's good, I still got to go into the option chain and I've got to make sure that there's good open interest, that the bid ask spread is tight, and that I get, and this is a key that a lot of people who do credit spreads don't do. I make sure that my risk reward ratio is no no greater than three to one. So when I do lose on those trades, it won't I won't be risking more than three dollars to make one dollar. You know, so for a lot of people that might sound like, wait, I want the opposite risk reward ratio. <laughs> you know, I want to right. I want to risk one to make three. And yeah, that's that's true in like trend trading. Yes. But when you're doing vertical spreads, you're not going to get that. But it's okay because the win-loss ratio is so astronomically high. Right. The problem uh, traditionally with selling credit spreads is that uh, when you do get a loser, it's a big loser. And so yes. I just don't allow for that in my option pricing. So that's where you got to do a little bit of you know going through the option chain and finding those few gems where it's like, oh, well, okay, I got one here that's a three to one reward to risk ratio or risk reward ratio. And um, I'll only trade it if I have that. And if I can't find one, I just don't take uh, a trade that day. So, because I'm going to, you know, it's like, why give the market any more advantage than it already has over you? So I make, I call it making the market come to me. A lot of people use that term and I think that can mean many different things. But one of the things that means for me is um, I can't control the market. I can't make the market move in price to me. So I'm just going to wait for the market to come into my statistical probability setup scenario. And when it comes into that, then I take the trade. It's almost like setting a trap as opposed to hunting, right? I'm not going to go down and hunt whatever. I'm going to set the trap and let the animal come into my trap Yeah, and just sit there and wait for it. So never used that analogy before. That's pretty good. Oh, yeah, I like the analogy and I like this. Um, I've heard you talk about this before. And basically, you know, everybody thinks because we're traders, we have to trade, right? We have to push buttons, but we don't actually make money that way. We make money by making good, thoughtful decisions. And and sometimes sitting on the hands has to is part of it. I mean, it is a necessary part of it. And sometimes you won't place a trade that day, but that's, you know, that's what being a trader really means. So I, I do like that. I like your example there. I want to uh, follow back on one thing you said, and this is something that's, uh, I think, kind of important. I don't think a lot of traders think about it. So when you talk about the, the, the reversion to the mean trades, you said an interesting thing there. And when something gets stretched two, three sigmas away from a mean, you pointed out that, you know, correctly, that the mean is also always moving. And so what will happen sometimes is, the stock may not get that move down that you wanted, but the mean moved up. So in other words, time passed 
And now I guess in this situation, you may just exit for a flat trade, right? Because maybe five days passed, it never fell. And now you're just gonna, or, you know, if you're shorting, but if, you know, if you're trying to buy something, it, you know, it never went back up, the mean fell. And now you're just going to exit at like a scratch, a time stop, if you will. Is that kind mm-hmm. of how you think about it or a way you implement some of those reversion to the mean trades? Uh, that would be true, yes, in cases where I either, let's take that example, where we're extended to the upside. Uh, so if I bought a call or if I mm-hmm. bought the stock or if I bought the futures contract or if I bought the commodity, then yes. Then if that happened, then I would just exit basically a, a scratch, right? A little win, a little loss, break even. That's all basically called a scratch trade. So, yes, but generally what I do with those types of setups is I'm selling the vertical credit spreads. So there I'm collecting the credit up front. So if the market doesn't move, then, you know, at expiration time or or quite often even before that, I usually don't let my options expire worthless. Um, I've had times where it looked really good and then, you know, that the, the, the uh, option price was far away from the, um, from, well, not just the, exp- the expiration date came, but it was far away from the uh, strike price. And then at the very last moment, boom, it goes up and all, you know, higgly piggly breaks out. So yeah. <laughs> I found out, you know, for me, at least I like to just exit the trade before the close on those. Usually it costs mm-hmm. me like five cents to do yeah. it, but then I don't have to worry about getting assigned the stock or any of that mess. And so it's five cents for peace of mind. So, but mostly, yeah, those reversion to the mean trades, I'm mostly like 95% of the time doing credit spreads on them. And so I am collecting, I just get to keep the premium that I collected up front. And we will be right back. Those of you who know Trade Risk know we are all about rules-based investing. And that's why we are so excited to have Investors Business Daily as a podcast sponsor. William O'Neill and the experts at IBD created a proprietary market timing system that keeps you on the right side of the action, aggressive in uptrends and protected in downtrends. IBD digital members get daily updates on the current market trend, so they always know if it's a good time to be invested. Members also get access to IBD's top trade ideas, in-depth analysis, educational webinars, and much more. This is the framework for responsible investing, knowing when to be involved in the market and what stocks to have on your watch list. And with IBD Digital, you'll get both the information and education. Podcast listeners can get their first two months for only $20 by going to investors.com slash Evan. That's investors.com slash E-V-A-N. Now, let's get back to today's show. So I've heard you talk about the the five energies and and you usually tie this into high probability trading and how you maybe think about markets mind sharing a little bit about that so i have the the list here i'm sure you're familiar with it but um what what are the five energies and and maybe how are they used in practice sure so the five energy method is a trend trading model uh, and there's more than five energies in the market. So first of all, let's describe what energies are in the market. Mm-hmm. So the energies are literally the money flow, okay? the energy of the market. Again, the buying, the selling, not so much the bid and the ask, but the buying and the selling, the dynamic of that. So let's say, for example, well, most people have watched charts. If you watch an intraday chart live, then you'll see sometimes 
the charts and the bars are forming real slow. Or if you look in a level two or level three, you know, it's just scrolling real slow or time and sales going real slow. And, you know, that gets very frustrating and you just want to like, come on, market, move, move, move. And that's one of its energies. You're in a slow moving market. Energy is slow. Other times, like after, um, you know, a Fed announcement or something like that, or economic report that's really dramatic, or an earnings report for a company, the market, you know, boom, just goes out like a cannon. It's going fast, fast and furious and bye, 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 bye. Okay. So that's a fast moving market. That's the energy of the market. So that's just to get people to feel that concept of what I would mean by the energy of the market has to do with money flow. So the three energies that I look for for trend trading, number one is trend. So trend means the direction of the market, but it uh, there's some distinctions there. So uh, the trend, actually, the definition of the word trend in Webster's Dictionary is the extended general direction. So in trading, we don't define trend as just direction. It's not a short-term direction. It's the long-term direction. So, and not just to be a stickler for the English language, but in trading systems, when you're creating a trend trading system, you're designing a good risk reward profile. Like say the exact opposite of what we talked about before with credit spreads. So here we're looking to risk a little bit and make a lot. So we're looking for that market to move up or down, but we'll just say up right now because most people resonate with bullish markets. And that's what you're designing in your system. Okay. So and then the other thing is early in the new trend. So when we're designing the first energy, it's got to be measuring the long-term trend. Mm -hmm. And as far as timing goes, we're designing the system to get us early in a new trend. And that kind of resonates with the old saying, the, the trend is your friend until the end. Yeah. So, And the statistical model with that is that the longer a trend continues, the less probable it is to continue. So that's why we want to get in early in a new trend. So we have that big reward ahead of us. Okay, so that's number one. Number two, then, is uh, momentum. So momentum is the strength of that trend. Uh, back when I first started trend trading, I would look at charts and I'd look at them after I took the trades and I was, I'd see, okay, I printed out this chart, printed out this chart. I took both of them. One followed through, the other one didn't follow through. And I couldn't tell why one worked and why one didn't. And I'd go through this over and over and over and over for the life of me. Couldn't figure out, couldn't see any difference between the charts. They both looked great. Mm -hmm. And they were identical. And the problem was I was missing the energy of momentum. I wasn't accounting for that. So I had a mentor who, who taught me about momentum in the market. So momentum, literally momentum in the market is velocity times mass. I mean, well, that's what momentum is in physics. So in trading, it's the speed of the orders that we talked about already, and then mass equates to the weight of those orders, where we translate that to volume in the markets. So velocity, the speed, times how much volume is coming through, that's momentum. That's the literal uh, translation of momentum in the markets. So we want to be early in a strong trend. Those are the first two things. Strong trends follow through or tend to follow through the most. Weak trends do not. They're not as sustainable. Could be just a lot of retailers coming in with, you know, one lots, one shares, 10 contracts or whatever, and then it, it falls back down. Mm. Okay, so early in a new trend, strong trend, momentum. Those are the first two energies. The third, then it is cycles. And this is what helps us to time our entries. Because as the market's going up, it tends to, you know, ebb and flow. 
right? Oscillate. And so if you buy the top of a cycle of one of those oscillations, then the market's going to come down, 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 down during one of its cycle lows, and you got to stay in, and it's going to be hard because now, wait a minute, your risk is increasing. And you're not quite sure, well, is this actually the end of that trend? And where do I put my stop in now? How far am I going to let this market move away from me and continue to accumulate the, the drawdown? Mm. So we want to buy cycle lows. And so I've got a way of buying cycle lows that work extremely well for me. So I'm only risking the range of a bar to a bar and a half. So on whatever time frame. So let's say it's a daily chart. Um, the risk I have, I'm looking for the cycle lows within the trend. And I'm going to enter one penny above the high of the yesterday's bar. And my protective stop goes one penny below the low of yesterday's bar. And that's it. So that risk compared to the reward of a big trend is phenomenal. So when they do get losses, they're just, you know, pennies. So that's the key of cycles. Energy number three, nailing those cycle lows to buy in an uptrend and conversely nailing those cycle highs to short in a downtrend. Hmm. Number three, then is support resistance levels. And that's where we, you know, everybody sees, oh, previous swing highs, previous swing lows, floor trader pivots, Fibonacci, whatever you like to use, but levels that are blockages of those energies, is the way I describe it, where uh, market participants are going to see those levels and those would be points of um, decision or maybe indecision or profit taking. Mm -hmm. And so we want to look at those levels and watch everything as the market goes into that, okay, is there still a lot of buying? Is there still a lot of volume? Or do we start getting dojis or spinning tops at these levels? Maybe we should take partial profits. So that's support resistance. Then the fifth and final energy is what I call the fractal energy. And that's just a fancy word for saying I use multiple time frames. So I look to the next higher time frame and I'm trading in the direction of not trend. I don't care what the trend is on the higher time frame, but I'm trading in the direction of momentum on that higher time frame. So this way I've got strong momentum on both the short term and the longer term chart in the same direction. That's the emphasis I'm looking for, you know, big energy, big move, big follow through. And I want the, the energy of momentum aligned bullish or bearish on both time frames concurrently. And that's all there is to it. It's as simple as that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As simple as that, as spoken from someone who is, has been doing it for, for what, 50 years, 50 plus years. So, but no, I appreciate that, that, um, the multidimensional way to, to sort of view markets. It's not just, Hey, there's a trend. Let's just try and jump on, a, you know, jump on it. It's, it's no, let's pay attention to these other things like momentum and cycles and timing the entries. So, when you are thinking about this trend trading approach using the five energies, do you need all five? Is this where you say, well, four out of five is good? Like, how do we, how do we sort of like think about all of these playing nice with one another at this, at, at, at one time kind of thing? Well, uh, the fifth energy is always required. So the higher time frame, momentum on the higher time frame, that's always required. So in, in trading systems, that's what we call a filter, which would mm -hmm. keep me out of, if we don't have that, that would keep me out of an otherwise great looking trade on a single time frame. Okay, now the other four, uh, in our system, it is allowed to only have three out of four of those energies. So 
with the whole system, yeah, you could be allowed, so to say, uh, to take a trade with four out of five. But your higher probability is going to be if you wait for all five, for right. sure. So, and when people first start my methodology, I recommend they just take five out of five. You know, we actually score them. And in fact, at the end of my course, after everything's explained, everything's shared, people get a little half sheet of paper with the checklist. One, two, three, four, five. You know, that's, it's as simple as that. But now they understand everything behind that checklist. Um, so I recommend people start out being more conservative. And then as they develop, you know, what happens is, Again, with all those repetitions, those hours and things, and as my students get those under their belt as well, um, they don't really have to count to five anymore. Yeah. Because yeah. they get pattern recognition in their brain cells. And their brain, having seen it over and over and over and over and over, um, pretty soon they can just glance at a chart and say, yeah, it's there. And uh, when you get to that point, you kind of learn, you get a little intuitive as to, okay, well, this one energy is not perfect, but I've seen this 10,000 times before, and I know that most times it's still going to work out anyway with this scenario, but that's when you get a little more advanced. So that's why we allow for the four out of five score. Gotcha. Yeah. It might, uh, that one energy might catch up a little bit later or mm -hmm. something like that. So got it. That makes a lot of sense. So when you're thinking about building a new strategy or a new approach to markets, is this how you frame it out where there's essentially a trend following type of system and then there is a reversion to the mean type of system? Like everything fits within those two buckets. Is that kind of how you see it? Uh, no, no. I think there's other styles as well. So okay. you can trade volatility, for example. Okay. And, and I do that as well. So a volatility trade would be there might be no trend. Uh, there mm -hmm. might be no reversion to the mean. You could be right at the mean. Maybe all your moving averages are all kind of clustered together. Okay, so moving averages are like your mean. And you could have a, a 20, a 50, a 200 moving average, and they're all like bounded together around the same price. So, and price is right, you know, overlapping them. Uh, so there's really no direction and there's no reversion to the mean to be had, but there's low volatility. And so now that's another type of a cycle where markets expand, contract, expand, contract, and volatility. And so you can get into these where you look for low volatility scenarios and you look to get in at the beginning of a new high volatility cycle or period of time. By the way, when people might be wondering what's a cycle exactly, just substitute the phrase period of time. That's what a cycle is. It's a period of time. So many different types of cycles, but for, for this purpose. So yeah, volatility type uh, style of trading would be another one. Examples of that would be Bollinger Band squeezes, uh, all types of triangles, wedges, you know, even, even just narrow range channels, and then look for volatility to come into the market and trade the either the explosion out of that if you want to take it initially, or you can wait for a throwback if you get it, and then get in on the throwback as well. And if you're really advanced, then there's times when we can actually trade, we trade inside the contraction before the volatility breakout. And that's, that's a little more sophisticated stuff that <laughs> I recommend only for advanced traders. But boy, when you get, when you, when you do find those situations, they're really great because you're in before everybody else. And then when everybody else piles in, well, that, demand, those shares, those contracts, those are just adding 
to your position and to your reward. So yeah, when I hear you kind of talk through all of this, you're very you're very analytical in the approach. You've got your checklist, you've got your your conditions you're looking for. So what percentage would you say is is fully rules based? In other words, could we could we could we drop uh, Barry Burns, let him go to the beach, and you don't have to place a trade anymore? And can it be replaced by code? Or how much of you? And your experience, your insight, your intuition is is in play here on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, that's a great question, especially today when we have algos trading more than people. Uh, you know, more trades are placed by computers automated uh, than they are by human beings, uh, or at least more more volume, as I should say, to, to be more accurate. So um, I actually have a student of mine who did code my trend trading system. And, and he created that in Thinkorswim, and it's it's automated. So yeah, he's been able to do that. Oh, and he also uh, was able to do one of my reversion of the mean trades called the rubber band trade. And so, and he's even just recently, like in the last year, I think it was, yeah, he added that to his system. So uh, his uh, system can do the rubber band trades now as well. So as someone who has traded for so long do you have a a large graveyard of strategies that that maybe you 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 know used to work but now no longer work is that is that true in your case i mean there's a lot of stuff that i traded for a, a short period of time that then i didn't follow through with because it didn't prove itself over a large sample of data you know that's what's important to understand about statistics is no one trade means anything statistically right so you know for example i i uh, followed a system one time that worked for me for and it was a day trading system so we got mm-hmm. quite a few uh, pieces of data cuz like i said it was day trading and so over 60 days it worked pretty good really good actually and then the third month it all fell apart and lost more money in that last month than i made in the first two months so when you think of large sample of data you got to really think big 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 numbers you know you can't just think oh i made uh, 10 trades and i won eight out of the 10 so this is a great trading system no that's not a large enough sample uh to base you know long-term success on so um yeah, basically, and again, I just want to say this. So even though there's systems that I've tried or trading methodologies that I've tried that I decided not to adapt myself for the long term, it doesn't mean that they weren't good because I have had people and friends who still trade some of those methods and mm-hmm. they do very well with them. Yeah, they, they yeah. do very well. So and even with some of them, I was doing OK, but I trade, you know, what? really resonates with me. I think in in this way, trading, especially if you're not just trading a a robot or an algo or something like that, you know, there's a a personal, there's several personal aspects to trading that need to be considered. And um, one system might be good for one person and not for another. And that's uh, very important to take into consideration. So you can't, I mean, there's definitely the statistical and analytical part of it, but when it comes to money, um, yeah, money's an emotional thing for most of us, and we have different levels of risk tolerance, uh, and, and we have different levels of attention span. So, for example, with day trading, um, that's not for everybody, you know, and it takes time when you get to sit there, and, and um, it, it's there's more pressure 
because you've got the time pressure. It's like, oh, this something's forming, some setup is starting to occur, but the clock's ticking and that setup is going to be gone, you know, in whatever, a certain number of minutes. So you got that time pressure. I got to make a decision now. I got to press the button now. I got to do this now. And can you handle that or not? Well, that's different for each person. And for some people, no, that's, and that's okay. That's not a bad thing. That's just, okay, that's not your personality. Something else is, there's another strength you have and follow your strengths. I would say if people don't, you know, if there's a certain type of trading that they, they are not uh, good at, they should try, they should not try to be good at it. And I'm a big believer in life in general of letting your weaknesses be weak and finding your strengths and go all in on those, go all in on the things that resonate with you, the things that come natural to you, the things that you enjoy and let your weaknesses be weak. Let somebody else make money with that. And that's their strength. Good. Share the wealth. Don't take it all. (laughs) And, um, and you'll be more successful that way. I think, you know, don't, don't be Michael Jordan trying to play baseball. Maybe I shouldn't have said that, but (laughs) you know, I mean, really (laughs) follow your strengths and I get it. And that, that was fine that you did that and wanted to do that experiment, but I think it actually, and in fact, I'm glad he did it because I think it's a great example that all of us can, can uh, learn from and to follow. And, you know, he's an amazing athlete, but basketball was his niche and, and uh, he, I don't know, arguably the best in the world ever. I mean, People might debate that, but definitely one of the best. I don't think anyone would disagree with that. So um, same with trading or same, you know, to me, trading, you learn so many life lessons in trading and, and life lessons that you learn can help you in your trading. You can move those over and they can help you in trading as well. So in a way, trading is life. Life is trading. These lessons are very, very similar. And uh, that's why I love teaching because there's a lot of uh, personal growth that I can help people have. In fact, that's, I get two big, big, big benefits. And um, for me personally, that I get out of teaching. Number one, sure helping people make money, get out of whatever financial problems they might have, or maybe they don't have any real problems, but establish uh, a secure retirement, you know, whatever it might be. That is super satisfying. Uh, But the other part of it is too, is because in my courses and every time that I teach people trading, I, I accompany that with personal growth. So I say your trading account will be as big as you are. So you're, you as a person are going to have to grow into being a successful trader. And if you're just thinking about the stats, listen, you can blow those stats all to heck. They might, they might be there, right? But can you, it's like St. Paul said in the New Testament, the things I want to do, I find myself not doing. The things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And it's like that willpower. It's that discipline. It's like, okay, the statistical model is there. But can you implement it? Because now when it comes to money, fear, greed, FOMO, FUD, nervousness, you know, all these things come into play, pride, depression. And honestly, for some people, they probably shouldn't be traders at all. And that's okay too. If you learn that, if you learn that, that's a fantastic learning experience. Then again, go to some other area of life that is your niche, where you're strong, where your passion lies. And, um, yeah, it's not, I, I talked to one person about this uh, a while back and she said, she says, no, but I, I'm not a quitter. I'll never quit. I'm not going to quit. 
And I said, wow, somebody put in your mind, and I, you know, I hear that a lot. I'm not blaming you or the person who put this in your mind, or maybe just culture put it in your mind and not be a quitter. Um, you know, that's not really the best model to be designing your life around. Think about someone who's smoking. Shouldn't they quit? Wouldn't that be a good idea? What about an alcoholic? Shouldn't they quit drinking? So it's not so much, you know, just putting in this phrase quitter. I, I don't want to even use the word quitter because it's not appropriate because it does have a negative connotation. It's like, oh, I had a great discovery. This is either not healthy for me or it's not beneficial for me or it's not what I was called to do. God gave me certain inclinations in my mind, certain inclinations, my nervous system, certain passions in my heart, and that is meant to guide me toward my, my calling of what I'm to do in this world. And I should quit everything else. If I start something else, then I got to quit that. That would, that would be the right thing to do. To not quit that would be the sin right? If you want to use quit, I would just say, oh, redirect. Yeah, I think you said it well there. So um, we're going to start to wind down here. You are someone who always seems to be working on something or evolving or, or, or testing new things. Anything just on the forefront of your mind recently? Any new strategies, any new indicators you're playing around with or new frontiers you've been dabbling in? Anything come to mind? Yeah. Well, I, I just think we are definitely in a whole new transition of the globe right now. And it's very, very, very exciting, amazing opportunities uh, economically. So obviously crypto, but I mean, crypto's what, 10 years old or more. Yep. So a lot of people now are just coming on board and it's like, okay, well, welcome to the has-been party. Um, <laughs> you know, now I'm not saying you shouldn't be involved in crypto or whatever, but I am saying if you're going to get involved in it, learn about it. It is very, very different. Even the chart patterns move differently than your typical stock or commodity or whatever. So they are, um, again, we don't have time to go into all of it, but I will just say, leave it at that and say, if you do want to get involved in cryptocurrencies, fantastic, but get a good, really good education before you just don't throw money into the markets. Okay. And especially right now at this time, um, you know, you'd be, it's kind of FOMO, uh, fear of missing out at this time. So I'm not saying money can't be made, um, but it can, it definitely can be made, but you got to understand the cycle, there's unique cycles between uh, major cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, okay? And then your altcoins, and then your real uh, micro caps, and then your NFTs, and then metaverse and gaming. You know, these, these are, each one of these has kind of its own cycle in relation to the others. And they move really fast. We talked about volatility real briefly. Well, volatility here is a huge thing you've got to be aware of. And so anyway, I think that's a very, very exciting thing. And um, I'm very involved in that now. So and that's um, it's not new. I bought uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum, you know, a long, long time ago. But um, NFTs and, um, and gaming and metaverse, all that kind of stuff, I'm more new to that. And I have I am involved in that. Um, and then also, you know, commodities that are changing. So it's like the whole clean energy revolution. That's really, really important. So it's not only the future, it's here. And so definitely something to be watching and get educated about. Um, lithium comes in to play there with batteries and, and electricity. Um, what else? Oh, 
uh, the whole metaverse thing, really learn about that. I think there's so many of these things that are still so new. Uh, 3D printing would be another one. Uh, gosh, there's so many of them in the medical world, DNA sequencing, uh, even hallucinogenics. You know, I know that sounds um, kind of scandalous, but people used to think cannabis was scandalous. Well, now uh, the medical arena is looking at hallucinogenics and there's companies built around that. So, you know, these are, this is the cutting edge, these kind of things. And there, I think this is where the exponential money is going to be made in all these different areas and huge opportunity, huge risks. So that's why I say, um, yes, I'd recommend people look into it, but get very, very educated and then make a decision as to, you know, if or not they want to start getting involved in those things. And if they do, um, make sure that you become it. And by the way, this is huge. In any area of trading, no matter what you're trading, what system you're using, what markets you're trading, money management and risk management are optimal. Become a master of those things. Risk management is actually kind of a subset of money management. But that's way more important than which indicator you're using or which moving average or what candlestick bars or blah, blah, blah. You know, when I watch most traders trying to learn to trade, they're basically just have a chart and then they're swapping out indicators. Well, let me try this here. Oh, did this one work better? Did this? They don't even understand what the indicator is and they're just visually looking at them. They don't understand that indicator is a math function. Okay. So technically, you want something controversial? Let's hear it. Indicators are never wrong. Because <laughs> all they do is indicate, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, they don't even do that. They, they shouldn't even be called indicators. They're math functions. Yeah. And so that's why they're never wrong, because yeah. math's never wrong. So they're empty math functions, and those, they're filled with data. What's that data? The data is the price of whatever chart, whatever market you put on the chart with that indicator. Okay, and then it fills that indicator and it does its calculations. It pops out a value out the other end and then it plots that on a chart. That value is not wrong. That value is mathematically right. Now, the question is, so the indicator itself, I'm being very literal here, obviously, the indicator itself is right. Now, do you understand what that math function is measuring? And most people don't. They're just looking, is the line up or is the line down? If the line's up, I should buy, right? Not necessarily. You got to really, again, this is where the dollars are in the details. And, you know, people ask me, well, do you use the RSI or do you use the, you know, whatever, ADX or maybe do you use the CCI? And they're asking, and their intention a lot of times is they want to know if that's a good indicator. And sometimes they'll even ask me, well, is the RSI a good indicator? Yeah. Is ADX a good indicator? Yeah. Is CCI a good indicator? Yeah. But you don't use it. I know. Well, why don't you use it if it's good? I just don't need it to make money because I don't want to use all the indicators. There's too many of them. I want to keep, I want, you know, Einstein once said, and not that he was a day trader, but he said, keep everything as simple as possible, but no simpler. And so I approach that, or I bring that to trading. I want to keep my trading as simple as possible. I want to use as few indicators, as few you know, anything, moving averages, whatever, is few things I need, but I'm not going to make it any simpler because there's a certain amount of complexity that I need to create that probability scenario. So for me, the number is five, back to the five energy method, five uncorrelated, each one of those five energies that I shared with you, they're each uncorrelated to the other four. So when they all align, 
That's what gives me a probability scenario. Now, I could add more to that, but I don't need to because I would get the law of diminishing returns. It wouldn't increase my probability of my trades, but it would, would increase the complexity and the confusion in my mind. It would cloud my mind more. I wouldn't have the simplicity where I could clearly see everything and it would lead to mental overwhelm. And then you can't really trade with that. You got to keep a clear, clear mind. I love it. I love talking with you because you have a uh, a lifetime, literally a whole lifetime of trading <laughs> experience. So I appreciate it. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about your work and stay on top of everything you're up to? Uh, sure. Well, my website is topdogtrading.com. So you're welcome to go there. Uh, got some good stuff there. Oh, um, I mentioned the rubber band trade earlier, that reversion to the mean mathematical model trade. I actually give that away for free. So I'm a trader. I'm not a sales dude. So uh, what I do is for people who are interested in my courses, uh, I don't have any, I don't have a sales team or anything like that. I just tell people, hey, um, I'll give you one of my trade setups, the rubber band trade for free and try, try it. So you can get that by going to topdogtrading.com forward slash free. And they can get the rubber band trade there. Just sign up for it. There's five little videos. Each one's like 20 minutes and uh, test it out for yourself. You know, test it on a simulator or demo account first, obviously, and see if it works for you. If you have any questions, then people can email me uh, even on a free basis. They can email me and say, hey, I got your rubber band trade, but I got a question about this. And um, my, my approach is to educate people into buying my courses. I want you to make money before you spend money. And so you can get that and and then use that money that you make from the rubber band trade to buy a course or never buy a course. Totally up to you. You know, as you can see, I'm not a, a great sales dude, but I've just found that if I help people make some money, they kind of like me a little bit. And uh, then they want to see what more I have because my approach is so different. So, um, yeah, I think that's and then I'm also on YouTube. So just go to YouTube, type in Top Dog Trading. Uh, got a podcast as well. Go to your favorite podcast platform, type in, type in Top Dog Trading in the search field. Uh, but um, yeah, I'd really encourage people to get the rubber band trade because that's where you can really get your hands on something practical and you know, hopefully start making some money right away. And if you don't, email me at barry at topdogtrading.com and I'll help you. Okay. I want you to nail that trade first, start making some money first. Uh, absolutely free my gift to everybody. Awesome. Well, yeah, you have lots of content across all those channels as well, too. So we'll put all those links in the show notes of this episode, folks, so you can check that out. And that's it. Everything can be found on our episode blog page, thetraderist.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We hope to see you in a future episode. Barry, this was fun. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Evan. Thank you for listening to Smarter Trading. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. For all of the show notes, links, and call-outs, head on over to thetraderisk.com forward slash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Smarter Trading is hosted by me, Evan Medeiros, and produced by Ashton Alexander. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope to see you in the next episode.